It's Father's Day, and that always means that uh, we have about uh, 70 or 80 uh, members of our church family. Most of those, about 90% of them, uh, are high school kiddos, along with uh, several adult sponsors and leaders and our our youth minister, uh, Cody, head off to uh, Zenith Camp, which begins later today. And uh, a lot of our number have already left. They left uh, uh, Thursday. Some left on Friday, some left on Saturday, but the the majority of the group left this morning. And it is Father's Day, and it's a day in which our country recognizes uh, the importance of fatherhood. And I think that's a wonderful thing. And I'd like to have all of our fathers stand and be recognized at this time and then to continue standing for our prayer. Let's stand, fathers. And let us bow our heads and join our hearts. Father, You came into this place long before we did this morning. And we are thankful, Father, that You have surrounded us with Your presence, that that You have brought the cross of Your Son Jesus close to our hearts, and that You have reminded us of the greatness of the blessing that is found in being Your children. Father, we pray a special blessing upon all of these men, all of these men, who are fathers to children and grandfathers to grandchildren. We pray to do a better job. We pray, Father, to do a more profound and deep job of passing on our faith and to passing on the uh, the teachings of Your eternal Word, Your ancient, sacred Word to these kids who follow in our footsteps, who, who come down this path behind us, We pray, Father, that that will always be a burden upon our heart to teach and to live and to model and to speak Your words from Your presence. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen. You may be seated. There is a a story that is told about a Sunday school teacher who asked her first grade students, what is the name of Jesus' mother? Who is Jesus' mother? And immediately all the hands shot up. Teacher called on this one little girl and she said, Mary is the name of Mother's Jesus. And the teacher said, that's correct. Well done. Does anybody know the name of Jesus' father? Well, no, no hands went up. In fact, there was a little bit of silence until that same little girl raised her hand. Teacher called on her said, do you know the name of Jesus' father? She said, yes, his name is Burge. And the teacher looked at her a little puzzled and said, you'll have to explain that. And she said, yeah, I think his name is Verge. Everybody talks about Virgin Mary. <laughs> well, the, <laughs> I don't write these things. I just tell them, folks. <laughs> the right answer is, the right answer is, this is church. You're supposed to get the, the answer right. The right answer is Joseph. The right answer is Joseph. Now, Joseph does not get a whole lot of publicity, right? In the Gospels, not a whole lot of publicity. But think about this. Jesus of Nazareth, Jesus, who is the Son of God, also had to have an earthly father. Now that is an important fact. Fathers are incredibly important. Now think about this scene. You're at a dinner party. Maybe it's at a restaurant. Maybe it's at your friend's house. They have one of those long tables and everybody's gathered around it. And you're at that point in the evening where the conversation gets a little bit superficial. There's a lull in the conversation. It gets a little dull. 
And then some brave heart, some brave soul, not a, not a smart one, but a brave one asked this question. Someone describe your relationship with your father. Now, as soon as those words fly out of his mouth, you need to fasten your seatbelts because you are going to see some strong emotion. You are going to get some strong emotion about that. And not all of it is positive. Sometimes you're going to see tears. And sometimes you're going to see some, some frustration. And many times, unfortunately, you're going to see those hands are going to be rolled up into a fist. And that table is going to be pounded. You know, every third Sunday of every June of every year, Father's Day comes rolling around. And there are a lot of you, fortunately there are tons of you out there right now that cannot wait for that day to get here. Just can't wait. Because you want to buy that card, you want to make that phone call, you want to buy that present. You want to cook that special meal for that, that father that you love so much. But that coin has a flip side to it, doesn't it? That coin has a flip side. And the flip side is, is that there are also some of you that when that Father's Day approaches, you feel some dread. In fact, you feel kind of emotionally handcuffed to that day because your relationship with your Father is one of the most painful relationships that you have in this life. And you keep asking yourself, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? What, what am I going to do this year? What am I going to do? And as a guy that's been in ministry for a little over 30 years now, I've seen that and I get that. I get that. You know, the, the problem of honoring fathers is an ancient problem. It's a historical problem. The, the, the text that Jordan read for us out of Mark chapter 7, you know the story. It's about Jesus confronting His culture where they were allowing through a teaching, a tradition of men, to allow children not to honor their fathers through a loophole in the things that they should have used to honor their parents. They were getting out of it through the Corbin. And then over in Luke chapter 15, the most famous parable that Jesus ever tells... The, the parable of the prodigal son, you know what the story is about. The story is about two sons. Both of them are jammed up in their relationship with their father. But here's the thing. You cannot get away from that fifth commandment. You can't. As hard as you try, you cannot get away from that fifth commandment. Moses says to the people at Mount Sinai in Exodus chapter 20 and verse 12, Honor your father and mother so that you may live long in the land that the Lord your God is going to give you. And then over in the New Testament, centuries and centuries and centuries later, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, over in Ephesians chapter 6 and verse 2, honor your father and mother. Why? This is the first commandment with a promise. So what in the world does it mean to honor your father and mother? What does it mean to honor your father and mother? Well, it means to ascribe honor or value to them. When you honor somebody, you're ascribing value to them. Many of you were able to go to the Sunshine Cottage this last Thursday night. I was there along with a lot of you when we got to see uh, the retirement uh, party for Dr. Jerry Christian as he was retiring as the CEO of the Sunshine Cottage retirement party, and they honored him. And what did they do? Several of them got up and talked about the things that were valuable about Jerry, that he had contributed to that cottage that was helping minister to deaf children in our community. The influence, the character that he brought to bear on that, on that institute, they talked about that and they were ascribing value to Jerry. For the, they were honoring him in that retirement party for all that he had done. Now that's what it means to honor your father and your mother. 
It means that you take stock of them. It means that you, you, you think about them deeply and you discover those noteworthy things that are about them and then you speak it back to them. And in that way, you bless them. You take stock of them and you speak it back to them, those things that are noteworthy about their life, and in that way, you bless them. Now, uh, recently, I asked uh, a, lot of, a lot of friends and a lot of colleagues around the United States and as well some of you here in this room this morning to reflect on this one question and then to send me an email or to give me a phone call and I received lots of, of really stellar feedback on this question. The question was, what are the good gifts that you have received from your father? What are the good gifts that you received from your dad? And a lot of them came back with, with all kinds of moving uh, uh, notes and, and moving stories. A lot of them had to do with the fact that my father uh, imbued in me a, a sense of character, a sense of right and wrong. Others of, of these folk from around the United States said, you know, my father made me safe and secure. In fact, there, there's one young woman in our church family here that wrote this, that the security and safety that she felt in her dad's presence helped her to understand what it meant to feel safe and secure in God's presence. She got that from her dad. Another man wrote that his dad taught him how to always strive to do what is right. In fact, he had this little saying, and it's such a cool saying. It sounds like something from The Hobbit. I mean, it's kind of clever. And I, I, it's up here on the screen because uh, I wanted you to get it. The, the, the statement is, right is right if nobody is right, and wrong is wrong if everybody is wrong. Think about that. Another man, a CEO of a gigantic company, a, a, a chairman of the board of trustee for a college, wrote that one of the many things he learned from his dad was to keep a clear head and a steady hand in the midst of chaos. A sister in our church family, right here at Mac, said that her dad always put others first. And even as he was dying, he would ask the hospice nurses what he could do for them each day up to the day he died. She got that, that desire to serve other people from her dad. And if uh, you knew her, you would know that she got that from her dad. Uh, another woman from our church family here wrote, I was almost 16 when my dad purchased his first new car ever, a yellow AMC Hornet station wagon. Man, that's a long time ago. We had very little money, so this was a big, big deal to him. Soon after I turned 16 and was able to drive, I inherited an old car from my great aunt who had recently died. It did not have power steering or brakes, but I loved it because it was mine. And the added bonus, I built muscles just driving it. When my dad saw me struggling to turn corners and witnessed me breaking with both feet, he swapped cars with me immediately without even thinking about it. It was a sacrifice I've never forgotten and have never taken for granted. Wow. And I think that this woman's probably one of the most generous people I've ever known. Uh, another guy wrote, uh, uh, in fact, uh, a member of our church family here too, he writes, Dad surprised me with a blue 1979 Plymouth station wagon which came with exactly zero dates in high school. But then, first night in my college dorm room, scared out of my mind, I found a letter my dad tucked into my luggage. Somehow Dad knew exactly what I needed to hear. It was then that I realized that Dad really does get me. End of quote. Uh, as, as many of you know, this is my first Father's Day without a, a father on earth. 
But at the same time, in a manner of speaking, it is also the first Father's Day that I've ever experienced where I have two fathers in heaven. Uh, early this morning, on Father's Day, early, early, early this morning, in the wee hours of the morning, I got, I got a phone call and headed out to a hospital, a family that is uh, uh, sort of loosely associated with this church. Uh, the father, the husband, had had a heart attack. They were about to take him off of the respirator and called it to see if I would uh, go out and be with them as they did this. And we read Scripture together, and we prayed together, and we hugged, and we talked as they took this husband and this father on Father's Day off of life support. And to see those boys with their father that last time reminded me just how important the gifts we get from our Father really are to us. I want to tell you about four things that I got from my own father. Uh, there's no outline this morning because these are very personal to me. You can write them down if you want someplace, but they're not meant to be any kind of a great teaching. They're just reflections on the things that my father gave me. The first thing that my father gave me was a stable launch pad. He gave me a, a, a stable launch pad. Now, what I mean by that is... In, in my young, really early formative years, I felt as this little sensitive kid a tremendous amount of security. I went to one church. We lived in one house. I had one set of parents. I had one set of friends. We, we, we went to one school. And all of that, 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 that kind of stability gave me this tremendous amount of security. I, I knew I was blessed because I had a relative not far removed from me that by the time she was 10 years old, she had gone through a whole line of stepfathers. And security and safety was something that she did not feel on a regular basis. There, uh, I, one time when she was about eight or nine years old, she had to get in the bathtub with her little dog during the middle of a tornado that was coming through her neighborhood because she was home by herself, scared to death. Nobody there to take care of her. I knew that there would be food on the table and that all of us would be there together to eat it and that there would always be a roof over my head and at the end of the day, all of us would be under it together. And even these really simple things, that there would be hot water in the bath and electricity when I turned on the lights, that they would just light up the room. All of that meant well-being and security. What it meant is that as a kid, as a little kid, I could just be a kid. I could just be this little kid that didn't have to deal with, with adult issues. And I want to say to, to our church family how much pleasure I have gained in watching a lot of, of, of our Mac fathers provide this, this stable platform, this stable launching pad for their children so that their kids can be kids and not have to be with uh, adults dealing with adult issues. You know what? That is really commendable. When, when we see a family make a decision to stay and to be stable and to, to have one home and to have one, one church family and, and to commit themselves to being one in their marriage rather than moving someplace to chase a bigger paycheck or to chase the next rung on that ladder of corporate success, that is a wonderful gift to your kids. It is a wonderful gift to your children, that stable launch pad. 
Uh, the second thing is a sense of personhood. A sense of personhood. You know, I, many of you have never met my father uh, while he was alive. But one thing that you could say about J.T. Absher is that he never had a problem with self-identity. Always knew who he was. To my knowledge, my father never had an identity crisis. He always was a very, very self-defined individual. Had a very self-defined identity. And a lot of that came from the high level of integrity that, that kept him, it seemed, always unfazed by dissenting opinions about which direction he ought to go or his family ought to go in life. My father never needed the Nielsen ratings. My father never needed the Nielsen ratings to know what a right decision was. And he passed that on to his sons. I can't tell you the number of times, not just me, but my brothers found ourselves in a group of, you know, everything always, the story is always either going to be funny or it's going to end up bad when it starts off with a bunch of teenage boys got together one afternoon. I remember one time where for some reason, it's kind of this pack mentality, these guys decided that they were going to steal every candy bar that they could find. And I'm standing there looking at these guys, and I knew in my heart that that was absolutely wrong. Thou shalt not steal. That's a pretty easy one. And these guys, are they're trying to hand me candy bars. Say, hey, 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 I don't want, I don't want these. Don't, hey, you guys need to stop this. Don't do this. Don't do this. Don't do this. This is wrong. My brothers found themselves in the same kind of situations. And the older we got, the more important that, came, that, that became to us. And I, I want to tell you, I want to see strong Mac fathers, Mac dads who know where true north is located. And I'm telling you something, fathers, when you live your life like that, where through true biblical conviction, that will grab your kids' attention. And then number three, the significance of relationships. One of the things that, that, that my dad instilled, instilled in all of us was the importance of people. How did he do it? I, you know, he did it a hundred thousand different ways. It was in taking us with him to take uh, communion to shut-ins. It was, it was in, in him getting involved in the, the joy bus ministry and welcoming all of those kids that, that, that grew up on the other side of the tracks from where we were living. Welcoming them on the, uh, on the bus and taking them to church as if they were his own kids. And simple little things like eating dinner together every night. Dad wanted to be with us. We wanted to be with him. Having dinner every night, relationships are important. My father had friends of all ages, and one of the reasons for that, he was a consummate listener to anybody that wanted to talk to him. I had more than one friend that would come up to me and say, you don't know how lucky you are to have a dad that listens to you the way that your dad listens to you. I wish my dad listened to me that way. And I'm thinking, you know, you haven't been on the wrong side of him talking to you. you know. But he made the time to be around. He always made us and everybody that he was around to feel important. You know, one of the things, and it's such a simple thing, but, you know, he, they, they were part of a carpool and they were driving from, from Bowie, Maryland to Washington, D.C. every day, every day, every day. And every day, either when Dad was driving the carpool or when they would drop him off at the house, he wouldn't even change clothes. He's in the suit, drop off the briefcase, jump in the car unless he was driving carpool and then he comes straight. He would always show up at White Marsh Football Field or Rockledge Elementary, wherever we were practicing football. And we would... You know, it's starting to get dark, which is one of the, the ways that as a little kid you know that practice is about over and you still got to go through those wind spreads, but it's about over. 
And you knew as that light was going down, all you had to do was look over towards the parking lot and you'd see J.T. Absher standing there, sometimes with his coat off, sometimes with his sleeves rolled up, but he was always there because we were important. Never missed a wrestling match, never missed a football game. He's just always, always, always there. Why? Because people are important. You invest yourself in, in, in people. When I was interviewing for this, this church, uh, one of the things um, in, in conversations with, with the elders uh, we talked about was, uh, was the place of, of my family in my ministry. And one of the things that I, I said to them, and I've said it at every place that I've, I've preached, is that the little church, which is Mark and Ellen and Jordan, always comes before the big church. But the big church is really, really important. And then a fourth gift and a, and a last thing. You know, Mac, Dad, let me say this before we go to that last gift. When your kids see you open up your life to other people in friendships and in community and in service to others, and when they see you interacting with other people in these pews and in Bible class and in that family room and staying after church long enough to visit with people and to fellowship with them and to find out what's going on in their life, that, makes, that is a signal to those children that, that relationships are a gift from God. And that we are made for relationships and that we only properly function in relationship. And then the last thing is a spiritual heritage. You know, I think my dad would be the last one to tell you that he was a, a, a saint by any stretch of the imagination. And there were times in his life where, you know, like all of us, there, you know, there's moments of vibrancy and, and bright light in terms of, of spirituality. And then there are those dips where you seem to kind of... Uh, you know, those low moments, spiritually speaking. But one of the things that my dad refused to do was to give up on God. Even when things were not very bright at all, and they, and they seemed to be very bleak at times. And especially as his health began to wane. I mean, if there was something that he would say to, to me and my brother Byron and my youngest brother Randy all the time, he would just say, I don't know why God is so good to me. I don't know why God is so good to me. One of my last memories of my father, last year he had a, a tube coming out of the front of his kidney, had a tube coming out of the back of his kidney. Not very comfortable. It certainly was not dignified. Spent most of his day in a robe because that was really the only thing that was comfortable. Because of the COPD that was, that was hardening his lungs, he was just expending so much energy just to live and just to breathe. And we went in for this last procedure to try to get that tube out of the back of that kidney so he, he, he wouldn't have two, he'd just have one. And after three attempts, three different procedures on three different days over uh, several months, the doctor came out and said, you know, he's going to have to live with this the rest of his life. And we were all kind of down cast because of that because you know we, we knew that dad's health had taken this downturn and we you know we just we just wanted those those final months whatever it was that god gave him to be pleasant months and to be comfortable months and so my mother and i took him home and uh, dad had not eaten breakfast that morning and and so he was sitting in a chair 
French doors overlooking this mountain back behind their house in the hill country north of Fredericksburg. It's a beautiful area. It's a beautiful morning, but we're kind of down. And Mom is headed off to Walmart there on 290 to, to fill his prescription. And Dad hasn't eaten, so I've made him a cup of coffee and I'm boiling him an egg. And I'm just kind of standing there going, as sons do, and they don't know what to do. And all of a sudden, he says, I don't know. I just don't know. And I turn around and look at him, and I say, Dad, you don't know what. And he says, I just don't know why God has blessed me so much, why God is so good to me. I don't care how bad things might get for me. I, I, I don't care how, how much might be taken from me. But in that moment, my father passed on to me a spiritual heritage that says, as long as I always sense that I'm in God's hand, as long as I always sense that I'm surrounded by His angels, as long as I know that I will spend all of eternity with Him, and that He, he looks upon me and He sees beauty, regardless of what might happen to my body, what, what they might take, what might be taken from me, what I might lose, I'll always wonder why God is so good to me. It's a spiritual heritage. A spirit, spiritual heritage. And the truth of the matter is this, fathers. Dads who love God, dads who love God transform sons and daughters. Dads who are disciples of Jesus of Nazareth and who love God with all their heart, soul, mind, and strength transform sons and daughters. What we do here on Sunday morning is not a religious game. What we do here on Sunday morning and really every day of our life is not a religious game. It is the drawing together of God's people to recognize that through our own humility and the recognition of our own sin that we have been saved and that we have been redeemed. And that God has taken us and put us in the palm of His hand. And there is no one, there is no one who can take us out of that hand. And that like David in Psalm 27, that in the day of our trouble, David, David has people that are trying to devour his flesh. He talks about it at the beginning of that psalm. I don't have a clue as to what that means, but it sounds like a pretty rough day when people are trying to devour your flesh. And, and David says, all I want, all I need is to look upon your beauty in the day of my adversity. Dads, I'm telling you, if you play games with your faith, your kids will do the same. Don't give them that option. Don't give them that chance. And living by that biblical conviction, that is a good thing for you. It's good for you. It's good for your marriage. It's good for your reputation at work. It will keep you out of trouble. But it is even better for your sons and daughters. And one of the things that I pray about, and, the, and those of us on staff here pray about on a weekly basis, is that our Mac fathers and, and, and mothers will live out their faith in challenging ways before their kiddos. That's what we pray about. And, for, and there's a lot of you. I want to commend you. There are a lot of you that just, before our very eyes, we see you committing yourself to being great fathers. Of, of, of committing yourself that regardless of whatever it is you might face in front of you, 
Whatever the, it, it might be, if it's a, a, an incline or a decline, whether it's full of light or full of darkness, you have committed yourself to being the best father that you can be. I commend you for that. Go and do more when it comes to growing as the spiritual leaders of your kids. Now, before I close and before Ben leads us in the invitation song, you know, you really have to deal with this gigantic pink elephant in the middle of the room. What do you do on Father's Day when your list of things that you did not get from your father is longer than the list of the things that you did get? I I just want to suggest two things, and this is not meant to be anything profound, but but for me, uh, it, it makes so much sense to, number one, realize that nobody gets a perfect father. As much as I think that my father is probably one of the greatest men I've ever known, if not the greatest man I've ever known, J.T. Absher would never tell you that he was perfect. There were lots of things that he failed in, and there were lots of things that he did not do well in. And one of the things that he continually reminded us, and it's something that I pass on to my kids, is you be better, you be a better man than me. You be a better man than me. And you know, sometimes you do, you don't get really anything in, at, at all that's very good from your father. In fact, what you do get is really the bad stuff. Well, you know what? Here's one thing. Here's one thing. He did give you life. Ah, that's a technicality. (laughs) He did give you a life that you enjoy. Nobody gets a perfect father. And the second thing is to do the hard work of forgiving them. To do the hard work of forgiving them. Now, that's not something easy. It's not something that you do very quickly. If you do forgiveness the right way, it is going to take a long time, and sometimes you need some help with that. Find the help. But, but do that. And you know what happens sometimes when, when you forgive is that it, it, it changes the relationship completely. And another thing that you discover is that, you know, if you spend a lot of time with Ephesians chapter 4 and verse 32 that says, forgive each other as you've been forgiven in Christ, and you really do honest work, not just deep work, but honest deep work where you drill down deeply into your own soul and realize what it took for God to forgive you then it's not nearly as cataclysmic as we think it is to forgive somebody else as we have been forgiven in Christ. I just want to say, dads, I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you. And, and to think, you know, this morning on Father's Day, all of you fathers that were out there this morning in that parking lot who had gotten up to take their kids to the, to the buses, to, to the vans, to the vehicles that were going to drive them up to Oklahoma City so that they could spend an intense week of Bible study and worship and, and service and to learn what it means to be a disciple of Jesus. I say, well done, fathers. And if there's any way that we can help you this morning to become a better disciple of Jesus, and only you know what those things are in your heart that you need help with. But that's why we have shepherds in this congregation because we are built for relationship and we need the relationship of wiser, older people that have been around the block a few more times than we have to help us navigate those steps. And to help us, you know, sometimes the greatest thing that an older person, a a shepherd, a, a pastor of the flock of God's people can say to you is that you can overcome this. And this is not insurmountable. That is an encouraging word. And to know that they pray over you and that they can share with you what it means 
what it means to deal with these particular aspects of your life in a way that brings honor to God is a great thing. Or maybe this morning you're deciding, you, you've, you've been deciding and now you have decided that you want our God who is our Creator and the Creator of the universe to be your eternal Father. And you're ready to confess that before people and to change the direction of your life by repentance and, and have your sins washed away, not just today and those in the past, but all of them in the future because you stand in God's grace. Those sins are washed away through your faith in the, uh, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus that you participate in in your baptism and then the commitment to discipleship. Maybe you've made that decision today. Well, these, these shepherds are going to be down here at the front. And as we sing this praise and this worship to God, come down to the front and let these needs be known. Let's stand and praise God together. Father God, just for today, help me walk.